Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things mental health. Today, I'm very excited to have on Suzanne Falter. Suzanne is a writer and speaker who, after losing her 22-year-old daughter, Teal, in 2012, shifted her life significantly as she found her own way back to joy, peace, and balance. Today, Suzanne helps those who are suffering from trauma, grief, and burnout to find wholeness and fulfillment again. She is the author of many books, but most recently, The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care. Do less, achieve more, and live the life you want. So I want to say I'm excited to ask Suzanne lots of questions, but I just want people to know that I have read this book entirely. I have written in it. I have used it. I am a huge fan. This is not just another fluff self-care book. I really genuinely devoured this book. I loved it. So welcome, Suzanne. Hello. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm delighted to be here. Great. Well, I want to I wanna jump right in, actually, and you write about this in the book, um, but I want to talk about where I want to start is I want to talk about what your life was like before your daughter, Teal, passed away and what your own self-care was like and just where you were and what your priorities were and then how things shifted afterwards for you? Well, good question, because I was in a pretty crummy place. I was a very, very driven type A workaholic internet marketing coach. And I was super focused on making lots and lots of money to the detriment of my health, my well-being, my serenity, my connection with other people, etc. Um, I had made some changes that were positive in my life, but I was still working about 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, and I was ignoring my needs. I was in a, had just le uh, left a very intense toxic relationship. I'd lost the apartment that I'd just moved into <laughs> with this person, um, and I was kind of you know, I had actually just ended my business because I was so burned out. And I was kind of in this free fall of not knowing where I was going to live, what I was going to do. Everything was wide open. And then all of a sudden, my 22-year-old daughter, Teal, who had come out to San Francisco with me and was beginning what she thought would be her work as a healer, she dropped dead from a medically unexplainable cardiac arrest. I had had dinner with her two hours earlier in a very nice restaurant, and she went home. I arranged for a friend to give her a lift home, and she walked into the bathroom and locked the door and collapsed. And the guy who uh, shared the apartment with her came along about 15 minutes later, figured out she was in there but not responsive, and he jimmied the door, got in there, and uh, they revived her to the point where she was in a coma for six days. She was taken off life support when it was, we all realized her brain was too injured to sustain life. And um, that's when it all changed very, very dramatically for me because I went from being this super driven person to being totally shockingly dropped deep into the abyss of grief. And I stayed there for two years, Cheryl. I did not work for two years. I didn't do anything for two years except grieve and take extremely good care of myself and learn how to be a better person. Because I had this realization, the night she collapsed, I walked into her hospital room, she was on you know, a ventilator and there were all these machines around her trying to keep her alive. 
And, um, you know, I looked at her and I knew, my whole body knew what was going to happen. I knew she was going to die, that I was going to do the healing work she was supposed to do, and that I was going to have to become a much better person and a much more grounded me sort of person back in touch with myself to be able to do that. So let me just say that um, when I asked you to be on this podcast and when I read this book, which was about a month ago, um, what I'm about to say is totally taking a shift. You don't know what I'm about to say, but I didn't know what my, what was going to happen in my life. So as you're speaking, I'm connecting with you because so today, so seven days ago, my younger brother just in a bathroom went into cardiac arrest and it was Whoa. on um, life support Whoa. for five going on six days and was declared wow. dead on December 20th. So, oh, Cheryl. so wow. I'm going through so this. Sorry. I'm thinking about it for myself. I'm also thinking about it for my mother. And yeah. um, that's why when I was then writing, thinking about the questions, I want to talk about that grief. There's something that even when I read about Teal's passing like a month ago, I couldn't relate and connect to that. You know, I could sympathize but I couldn't right. empathize. Now I'm empathizing. Um, but I really want to talk about, I want to talk about the self-care, but I just want to spend another minute on grief because you were able to transform your grief and feel like you could continue on her work and legacy. And I loved like in the book where sometimes you'd have excerpts from her journal. Yeah. Um, but you know how the abyss of grief, like, can you talk more about that? How do you, how do you work through that? How do you even describe what that is? Well, okay. So when you've had a loss, a dramatic sudden loss like you have or I had, you are not in your right mind, basically. There, there's something in the back of the brain that is truly disabled. And it's hard to make decisions. It's hard to move forward. It's hard to get out of bed in the morning. It's hard to uh, function. And I felt like I was so broken, I would never be repaired again. But I also knew that there was a reason for it and that I had been given this death as an opportunity to help people. And I felt that from the very beginning, and it really helped me get through it. There is a reason for all of this. I think when young people die, it's um, a dramatic thing and everybody's suddenly paying attention. And the fact that they're paying attention is this golden moment where the example of that person can be held up to be something we all remember or we all keep in mind. That's why I put Teal's journal writings in the book because she left behind this little red sort of tattered notebook, spiral notebook filled with these beautiful one and two sentence little sort of channeled insights she'd gotten in meditations that she used to shape her own path of self-care, which by the way was excellent. It was much better than mine. You know, Teal was a free spirit. She was untethered. She was um, very alive. She didn't care at all about money. She was entirely unambitious. She lived in the moment and she lived joyfully. You know, her, her work was to sing on the street with her little guitar and her backpack and she'd go all over the world doing this and live very, very simply. 
or she'd make, you know, she was a Java kid who made, you know, lattes for people. And then she'd bank her money and she'd go to the airport and she'd just pick a place and put down the cash and go. I mean, <laughs> there isn't a lot of complexity there. Mm-hmm. And so that's a pretty exemplary thing that I can share with other people. And, um, you know, the part of self-care, uh, a big piece of this work is about getting back to your own values. And after she died, she was so in touch with her values, I realized I was not, that I was lost in my values, that I was, I had been uh, uh, so focused on making money and doing things and achieving things and being successful that first of all, the interesting thing was I had become successful, but I couldn't even see it because I didn't like the work. I was not satisfied. I was longing to do something else. I was longing to write. And I had been a writer before I became an internet marketing person, and boom, here I was again, once more writing, because that was the only thing I could really do, was sort of write my way out of this mess, you know? Yes, yes, so you, that's the way, that was powerful for you, was writing. Writing's Mm -hmm. always been powerful for me. I work with lots of people who I am always pushing journaling, um, and sometimes, oh, that's not for me, and I'm just always trying to think, like, particularly with kids, I say, but, but, journaling is is all up to you you could make art you could do cartoons you could just do symbols you could just do colors it's just a way of expressing so i love that your your book is both insights and it's like just the right amount of insights you know you don't go on and on Mm -hmm. it's like oh i could i could really get that it's right to the point speaks my language and then it's like boom now you do some work and i like that I like that. I like that back and forth. And thanks for talking about grief. Um, That was really helpful because I will say that one of the things that's been hard, you said something, you said, everyone's now paying attention. And um, I guess I'd want to share, and that's been part of, definitely part of my grief. I mean, this is brand new for me, but um, Mm -hmm. the paying attention has actually brought me some guilt, even feeling like why why am i now just paying attention in Mm. in his death you know and i wasn't i wasn't totally checked out before but i certainly could have been more attentive and so there's for me some some guilt and some shame and there's all of that and so the paying attention i like the way you put it in that i don't maybe i don't have to stay in that guilt i can really do something with it which which definitely i intend to do um, yeah, you know, so absolutely, absolutely. It's it's a learning it's a le- learning opportunity. There's a saying among people who've lost children: you either get bitter or you get better. Mm. And I like that. It's simple, but it's to the point. And I was intent on getting better. You know. Yeah, I'd not heard of that, but I'm writing that down. Um, thank mm-hmm. you so much for sharing about grief and and I think courageously doing so um, to share that that pain and inspire other people. So let's talk about your book. You, Uh you break it down into three parts and I want to start with the first part, the self-care mindset. Can you talk to me about what you mean by that? Well, look, most of us women think that we do not deserve to take care of ourselves first. We really believe we'll get there eventually after we've taken care of everybody else. I have a Facebook group, self-care group for extremely busy women, and I ask all those women, identify your biggest self-care challenge when they join the group. 
every one of them, except maybe one in 10, says, I feel guilty taking care of myself before other people. Mm-hmm. Or I have difficulty making time for myself or believing I deserve it. You know, part of it is understanding your needs. You've got to understand your needs. But most of us are so focused on other people, we don't even know our needs. And that was totally me. When when Teal died, somebody said to me, what do you need right now? And I didn't know. I just didn't even know, Cheryl. I was like, it was like there was a fog occupying my head that was so thick I couldn't enter it and find out. And um, I spent the next two years really largely alone doing a lot of writing and also getting into some support groups, which were really helpful. Uh, The mindset is about being willing to acknowledge that self-care is a need, being willing to understand that your needs are more important than other people's because if you're not all there, you can't help them effectively. You will be... You know, like some of us of a certain age had mothers who were really big martyrs because they didn't really get to work outside the home and they were kind of angry that they had to have five kids. and <laughs> <laughs> Their lives were supposed to be so great, but they weren't, you know. And we grew up with these mommy martyrs. And, um, you know, the invitation now is to be a whole self-fulfilled woman who, if you need to go rock climbing, can spend an afternoon doing some climbing and somebody will cover the kids for you. You know, it doesn't mean you're a bad mother. It doesn't mean you can't be there for your kids in some respect and most times, but it means you get to take care of you. And this is really way more difficult than it seems, yeah, <laughs> mainly I because agree. of this mindset. I agree. And um, I, you know, interestingly, I used to do this. So this was in the early 2000s. I started... Um, these educational groups for foster and adoptive parents. And one of the first things I said, I remember what the faces would look like as I'd say, the most important person in your family, if you want to get to a healthy family is you. And they Mm -hmm. all shifted in their seats and the couples are looking (laughs) at each other and you know, they're there like, come on, give me skills on how to deal with these difficult children or children who've just been adopted or, you know, abused and neglected in foster care. And I said, I know you want to start, you want me to jump right in and give you tips and tricks, but it starts with you. You come first, oxygen mask comes on first, then your child. And I have found that the difficulty in receiving that message has not shifted much from mm. 2002 to today. Right. Um, that that's still a really hard idea, particularly for women to take in. We're so empathic. You know, we really feel everybody's pain. And, and that is our blessing and our curse, mm-hmm. really, because that's what makes us great mothers and, and partners and wives and friends and community members, and it also makes us uh, vulnerable to becoming too busy. So a significant part of this book is about setting boundaries. And you know what I call the five basics. It begins with understanding your needs, then as, as setting boundaries, and where you feel a no come up, having the courage to say no. And then asking for help when you need it. Sometimes you need help saying no. Sometimes you need to have a group of supportive people around you to turn to, as you say, let me get back to you on that, who can all say, you go in there and say no. 
And then after that, then you can take action and you can finally build out self-care as a plan in your life built on habits, big on habits, because really most of us think we're going to get to self-care a little later in the day, but yeah. then it never happens. That's, yeah. where, that's where it all evaporates. So if you know that you can get up half an hour before your small children, if you know you've got an hour after they go to sleep or right before bed or on your lunch hour at work or whenever it is, you use that time to build in what is the most important self-care. And in the book, I have something called the Handy Values Sorter, which I really love because I needed this so badly when I was trying to figure out my deal. And it helps you sort out the values that are most important to you. So when you get that hour, you know what habits to build. And one habit will lead to the next. This is my little bottle that I have every morning. It's a quart jar of, of water, filtered water and lemon juice and, and a special type of salt uh, that really puts my body chemistry in the correct balance. And I drink that every morning, and then it triggers me when I, after I get it going, I take my supplements, and then I'm stretching, and then I'm, you know, icing and heating all my, you know, older person aches and pains. And oh my gosh, if I didn't do that little routine first thing in the morning, you know, I would be really suffering right now. But well, here right. I am having a lovely chat with you. Right. Well, I'm glad that you said that because I think that particularly, um, women with children still at home who feel like, oh, I don't have that luxury to do that kind of morning routine. I get up and, you know, I'm right there in, in the right. storm. I, yep. I want to just emphasize, because I've been so conscious since I wrote Mommy Burnout and trying to mm -hmm. prevent burnout, I've been so conscious the last few years on what I can do, like what does self-care yeah. mean to me? And self-care means to me, it's now, there's sometimes, there's just micro doses of things. And it's just amazing what little things can do. Like yesterday, an example would be, I made, you know, I still had a house full of family from the holidays, so I made breakfast. But normally, you know, I'm standing while I'm eating my breakfast, whatever I'm doing, right. but I actually made myself a plate, like as pretty as everybody else's. And I actually sat down and I truly enjoyed, you know, my Christmas breakfast because otherwise I'm so busy serving everybody else that it's like, oh, there's the cold plate of food. Well, let me just shovel yeah. that in while I, now I'm cleaning up after everybody. So that's like a little example. Or for me, another example is um, I'm so glad I got a Peloton last month. Oh, yeah. And there are times where I, you know, I want to judge myself, but there are times where I'll go down and I just do 10 minutes. I just did a 10 yeah. minute ride, you know, the other night. Mm -hmm. And my husband actually commented and said, there's, there's like just 10 minute rides. I said, there's five minute ones. And he mm -hmm. said, he kind of looking at me almost like, what's the purpose, you know? And mm -hmm. I said, this Peloton for me slash anything you do for yourself, for your body, it just, just to take that 10 minutes was it wasn't about how many calories I burned it really was like I carved out 10 minutes for just me craziness was going on around me kids were playing with toys they've got this it didn't matter it was like mm -hmm. so just to give listeners that example it doesn't have to be big it can yeah, be really small to, right. to, to dose yourself right there are um there's a weightlifting movement that is um I've forgotten the name of it but it's basically 10 minute increments of weightlifting but it's intense weight 
and you do this with a personal trainer. I mean, heck, I when I was in the height of small kittydom, I would take do a 15-minute run, and I would just run out the front door and run around the block a whole bunch for 15 minutes and come back. Yeah, I'd feel much better. Right, you know? right. Some of it's just I mean, for it your doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to involve equipment or classes or places to go or trainers or anything. This is something you can do, and you're in 10 minutes of yoga using a yoga app. Yep. Exactly. All of it is possible, but it's got to be scheduled. It's got to be in your little carved out, intentionally chosen me time with as much consciousness as you chose to sit down and eat your Christmas breakfast. Right. Good example. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So talk about part two, your self-care essentials, because you talk about oh, things yeah. like sleep and love and friends and family. So my mm -hmm. question for you is. What about for the many who struggle with those areas um, to cultivate that or maintain it? What do you what do you say to them? Listen, consciousness is where it all begins. Being aware that there's a problem. That's why there's so much journaling in this book, because it's very specific. There are checklists and questionnaires to help you look at the places where you are suffering. If you've not taken a vacation in six years, well, not only are you eight times more likely to have a heart attack, women, but it's, oh my gosh, I forgot about vacations. Do you know 54% of Americans do not take all their vacation days? I that's have a read lot that. of people. That's a lot of people. Then that's a lot. Like you just said, those are days, weeks, maybe years off your life. That's right. So when you have the consciousness, then you can begin this process of getting out of your comfort zone, getting help where you need it, setting some boundaries, going to your you know, guilt-inducing or shaming boss and saying, I know you may not like it, but I need to take all of my vacation days this year and here's when I'm going to do it. Please let me know if it's a problem. Yes, um, and let, let, let me say something about the flip side of that. If you're listening and you're a boss, Oh, or you're yeah. a manager, you should insist that your employees take all of their vacation time throughout a year and not let them lose it or bank it. So I think there's the flip side of that too. Not only will you be helping them and yourself, you'll be helping the US economy. That's you'll right. be helping all of it because every single vacation dollar not spent is lost in our world. It just doesn't happen. I mean, look, there's a lot of different places where we need to live our self-care. You know, exercise is certainly a hot one, but there are a lot of ways to get help with exercise. Asking for help is a very big piece of this book because I thought when I started my own self-care journey, I couldn't ask for help. And pretty soon I found not only could I ask for help, there were total strangers out there in support groups who really wanted to help me. You know, I joined a support group for grieving parents. Then I got into a support group for people who had money issues. I got into a support group for people who are attracting bully lovers. I had all kinds of supportive people helping me. And I was so moved by the humanity of these total strangers who became friends just through the power of sharing our stories and sharing loving advice to each other. 
And, um, you know, I, I uh, mentioned that Facebook group earlier that I created that. So it was a space where all these women could come together and just help each other. And they post their problems there and they talk each other through them. And it's such a beautiful thing because that's really what this is all about. This is all about coming together in our pain and supporting each other to become better people. And that is what my daughter Teal wanted. Right, right. That's what her, that's her healing work. Right. So well said. Tell us then part three of your book is working self-care into your life. So why don't you end today with just giving us some of your top tips for actually being able to implement this stuff so that we are successful. Okay, great. Great question. What I like to do uh, is help people make habit stacks and a habit stack is where you pick three things you might really need to do, and you put them all together in a little stack at some point in your day. I mentioned this earlier. If you are working, um, if you have small kids at home and you really don't have a lot of time to yourself, maybe you carve out a 20-minute segment where you know your partner, your neighbor, your friend, a good video, whatever it is, that's gonna keep the kids in their own space and you're gonna have 20 minutes to meditate, say put it on your calendar. Create a habit stack because the other great thing about habit stacks is habits are naturally stimulated uh, by triggers. So you might, if you were to do some right after you wake up, waking up is a trigger. Your alarm is a trigger. What it might trigger is 15 minutes of meditation or it might trigger five minutes of breathing exercises or writing your dreams down whatever it may, journaling, you know, whatever it may trigger, then that action can trigger the next thing, which might be stretching. Um, if it's in the daytime during lunch, it might be a 10 or 15 minute walk. If you walk in nature, the studies are that it's much more likely to relax your central nervous system than walking on a city street or a suburban uh, sidewalk. Getting among the trees, having what the Japanese call a tree shower, even if it's just for half an hour, 20 minutes, can be very soothing. We have to keep in mind, one of our primary jobs is to protect our central nervous system. And when we do that, we become more relaxed and more grounded and better able to keep our cool when, say, our small child is losing it. I know this was a big piece of mommy burnout was to kind of keep your act together by keeping your head on straight. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this habit stacking is a way uh, to support being grounded as we work through life. And um, I'd say the last little tip I'd say is ask for something uncomfortable. One of the really inspiring women in my Facebook group really was burned out in her job, so she went to quit her job. She said, this is it. Because I had asked a question in the group, what would you do if you had 10 times more courage? And she said, quit my job. She reported back to say she tried to quit her job, but her boss offered her the same salary for half the hours because he was so impressed with her work. So she now has the dream job and she has plenty of time for herself and she didn't have to quit and find a new job. Yes, I'm so glad you gave that kind of example as our, as our closing kind of example because I think people hear those things. And a lot of times it has to do around quitting jobs, like doing that, that's a considered a very bold thing. And mm -hmm. what I have found time after time is only good things come from it. 
There are very few yeah. of any stories I've ever heard where someone goes, well, I wanted to be really brave, so I quit my job, and that was the worst decision I ever made. Like, I don't hear that. I always hear about, yeah. it was so good because, or my boss came back <clears> with this scenario that I would never have even proposed, and that made it made this job you know pleasant or doable so i just really want people to hear that that asking for something uncomfortable asking for something big my experience is that the returns are great i don't yeah. hear i don't hear scary stories do you agree absolutely absolutely and and your body is asking you for that you know i'd also say tuning into your body and listening to what your body wants is a big thing. You know, Teal wrote in her journal, how do I tune into my body? Lie down, put your hand on your chest and ask your body, what does it need? And it may say, quit your job. You know, yeah. You're going to get a message. For people who have trouble knowing what their needs are, that's it. That's a good little technique. It is a good one. Suzanne, thank you so much for sharing Teal's story, for writing a really beautiful book slash journal. Um, and I've gotten so much from it. I, I'm using this as part of my new year resetting, goal setting. Good. Um, and so I can't wait to share this with everyone. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you, Cheryl. It's a delight to speak to you. Thank you. You too.